Another thing I want to mention here, just this is really as we get into the sermon, um, just something that, that I see oftentimes in my life and I can see in people's lives. Oftentimes there are things in the Bible that are really incredible, amazing, astounding truths, and they kind of become old hat to us, right? We're so used to it. And this is part of the problem that was going on with the Pharisees and, and the Jewish leaders at the time when Jesus came. They had gotten so used to stuff, they'd kind of gotten everything categorized and how it works in their life, and they were not ready for God to do something different and amazing. And we can get that way. We can become so accustomed to things, so accustomed to truth, that it becomes old hat. And I want you to, this morning, just to be kind of thinking about that as we go through, and I'll remind you of it a couple of times, but I... It, what I think about is, is, is when you get into the New Testament, a couple times where warnings are given, one specifically that says these people are just looking for their ears to be tickled. They just want something that's kind of cool and new and easy and fun, and uh, they don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be made uncomfortable, and we don't want to fall into that. We do not want to fall into that because that way leads to complacency, and that way leads to powerlessness. It leads to Christians who just do nothing. And, and that, that's a huge fear for me. I don't want to become like that. So we're in, we're in the book of John. We're in John chapter 6. We're in this long sermon that Jesus has given. And it's the theme, the main theme is the bread of life. He keeps mentioning that over and over and over. He mentions a number of things over and over, but that one's the key one that keeps getting mentioned over and over and over. And this sermon that he gives is basically punctuated by questions along the way. And so we're going to just questions or statements along the way, and we're just going to review real quick. First question that comes up in, uh, in verse 25 in this passage is, uh, when did you get here? Now, they asked them something that's very, like, very physical to the here and now, and Jesus just totally ignores that question and launches right into what he wants to talk about. He tells them, he tells them very truly, I, to- I tell you, you are looking for me, not because as you saw the signs that I had performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, all you guys are thinking about is the filling of your stomach. You're thinking about just something that's temporary, something that's in the moment, feeling good right now. And he's, he's telling them, I got something that's much bigger than that that I want to talk to you about. Because he's telling them the main point of life is not just to make it, not just to survive. That's not why you're on this earth. You are not here to breathe air and eat food and drink drink and acquire stuff, acquire a house, acquire cars, acquire a bank account. That is not your purpose on this earth. All of those things I just mentioned are simply tools for you to fulfill your purpose on this earth. Just tools. Your your job your relationships in some ways can be that way. Your, your, your money, your stuff, it's, those are tools. And I want to back up and say real quick, relations, we, we don't make people tools, all right? I'm not saying that. But here's the thing that's very cool about uh, 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 even, even uh, in, in, a, in a committed relationship, a marriage, is that it's a, it's a little bit of a reflection of the Trinity when it's done right. This mutual love and self-service and self-sacrifice and this mutual submission one to another becomes something that people see and go, I want that. I want that. 
when the church gathers and sings and prays and studies and grows, that can be something that's very attractive. I've had a number of times people, people who have visited our church and go, I want this. There's something here. What is it? And so Jesus is telling them, this is not the main purpose in your life. There is a food that endures into eternity. And then we got into, because Jesus is bringing it up, the two Greek words for life, bios and zoe. Bios is eat and drink, breathe, live, exist. It's just existence. Zoe refers to a quality of life, a life that is valuable, a life a life that has meaning and purpose. And when he tells them, I'm bringing you this eternal life, then he's saying, there is a life that is different from existing. I want you to have that. He's offering that to them because that is what we all want. And we chase it madly. We want Zoe. We want our lives to count. We want value. We want meaning. We want purpose. We were made for that. You were made for that. Don't accept a lesser substitute. Don't live for money. Don't live for education. Don't live for your job. Those are not bad things. But they're not the most important thing. Don't live for what your abilities are. Understand that your abilities are tools to reach others for Jesus Christ to be an impact on people's lives. So then they said, okay, what must we do? They said, that sounds good. You're offering to us this eternal zoe, this eternal life. We like that idea. So what must we do? And there's the operative word there, right? What do we have to do to make sure we get this incredible life that you're Offering and Jesus, Jesus tell, they they ask him, what do we do to do the works God requires? And God and Jesus says this because they ask in plural. Interestingly, you know, they go, give us the list, you know, and they're expecting this list. Okay, you need to go and you need to do this. You need to do this, and you need to bring me the broom of the witch week of the West, and you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do all these things that are hard to do, and once you do them, prang, you get eternal life. So they ask in plural, what is Jesus answering? He answers in singular. The work, singular, of God is this. Believe in the one he sent. See, it's not a work. He said, I'm telling you, it's, it's not, you're asking me for what to do. I'm telling you, it's not that. It's believe and you will be changed. Believe and you will be changed. Because this is, this is what's key in this, because this is what they're struggling with. And he tells them, I already am seeing that you're not believing me. The next verse or two, he says that. But it's a gift. It's given to you. So, when did you get here? What must we do? So then they said, okay, so what is your sign? This is a way of saying, what are your credentials? You're offering us something incredible. You're telling us that is simply believing in you. Okay, what right do you have to tell us this? Give us your credentials is kind of what they're saying. And their credentials would be some sort of a sign, right? And so he tells them, He says to them, very truly, I tell you, that's that truly, truly, the double saying. It says, says, pay attention. This is important. It says, look at me when I'm talking to you. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
So he says, you guys are all about Moses. You look back to Moses, and you look to that manna, and, and, and he's going to say it later. And all, all the people who ate that manna, you know what? They ended up dying because it didn't give them eternal zoe. That was just bios. It just kept them alive. And so he tells them, I got a different kind of bread. And he tells them, he tells them what type of bread it is. He contrasts the bread that they ate, the manna, to the true bread from heaven. He says, this is different. It's special. He tells them the origin of the bread. The bread is from God. And he tells them the power of the bread. It can give zoe to the whole world. I'm not restricting this to Israel. This is not restricted to just this group of people in the wilderness who who need bread to live for 40 years. This is open to the whole world. This is supernatural in a whole different way. And we see their hopes and their dreams were totally misplaced in what they expected from, from the Messiah. And we've talked about that. We can do the same thing. We can get all wrapped up in what our hopes and our dreams are. And sometimes our hopes and our dreams have nothing to do with what God is doing in this world. And it must disappoint him greatly. So then they said, number four, they said, give us this bread, all right? Give us this bread. And Jesus said, declared to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. You want the bread? It's me. This is who I am. He just says it. He says, he says listen, I see you. You're starving to death with a stomach full of Savior substitutes, a stomach full of life substitutes. You're eating, and you become hungry again. You're drinking to become thirsty again. You're looking for life, and you're never finding it. I'm it. I'm it. And then he tells them, the problem is you're not believing. So that kind of leads us up to where we're at now. We're at question number five, and this begins in verse 41. And, And statement number five is this. Who does he think he is? Right? This is what's going on now. He's been laying all this out. He's been making some astounding claims. Now, here's the thing. We look at those claims. We listen to those claims. We've heard them before. We're kind of familiar with some of this stuff. So we're going, oh, yeah, okay, cool, Bob, oh, yeah. When really what's going on is they're astounded by these claims, and we should be too. He's saying the key to life for you and me, eternal life for right here and into eternity is one thing. Believe in Jesus. One thing. Believe in Jesus. Just like that. And he says, it's a gift. You just accept it. You don't earn it. And yet, what do we do sometimes? We work hard sometimes to do, sometimes we struggle, we're trying to do the right thing because we think, oh man, God's going to be mad at me if I don't. We do the right thing for a period of time, and we think, I deserve an extra blessing here. You know, how many times you heard somebody say, you know, I've been, I've been praying like crazy, I think, so I, I feel like God's going to do this for me. And, and those things aren't necessarily linked. He's a loving Father. He does what's best, and he does it as a gift. He gives us this gift, and we're so used to it, we go, oh, yeah, that's good, when really... For these Jews, they're going, this is crazy. 
because it is crazy. It's incredible. It's astounding. It's supernatural. It's not normal. We have to keep that focus as we read this. So verse 41, at this, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? See, some of these people were around. They're, from, they're local, and this is near Jesus' home. And they're like, you know what, dude? We remember your mother when she was pregnant with you. And then there was a census, and they went away. And when they came back, you, they had a baby, but she was not pregnant anymore. We understand how this works. We know where you came from. That womb right there. We know your parentage. We know your family. We know this stuff. Who do you think you are? And they grumble. You know, it occurs to me, we oftentimes grumble a lot. It's kind of a national pastime for us. I can remember one time I went, to a, uh, I went into a Hardee's for a biscuit one morning, and there was a bunch of older men. I'm an older man. I can't really. And uh, they were just gathered together having biscuits. Okay, this was B.C., before COVID. Remember, B.C. used to be before Christ, and then it became before cell phones. Now it's before COVID. Everybody just says, remember before COVID? Right. So these guys are in there eating. And so I look over, and here's this, here's this older gentleman, kind of like me, and he's eating his biscuit. And he's going, you know what's wrong with kids nowadays? I'll tell you what's wrong with kids nowadays, because none of them wanted to hear him talk, so they didn't say anything, but he just kept going. You know that kind of person, right? He goes, I'll tell you, because they don't work, and they don't want to work, and he's just, and he's just grumbling, right? And I look at him, because I'm thinking, okay, this is interesting. I look over, and it's this old dude, his white hair is pulled back in a ponytail, and he's got a Led Zeppelin T-shirt on. And I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, when you were young, and you had that Led Zeppelin T-shirt, and you wore your hair in a in a ponytail, you were the one the older people were talking about. They wear their hair like that. It looks stupid. That's not, that was like a girl for crying out loud. And Led Zeppelin, that's not music. That's just clanging, right? That's grumbling. That's grumbling. And that's what's going on here. They're just grumbling. Because Jesus is making these claims, and it just is getting to them. It's like they kind of understand what he's saying, but they're not sure if they understand what he's saying, and they don't like what he's saying because they begin to understand the implications of what he's saying because they understand, you know, man, if I, this, this kind of thing means I give up control of my life to him, Jesus. Remember when he was a little kid. Remember running around in the diaper? I don't know if they wore diapers, whatever they wore back then. I remember running around in his kanushka or whatever the name would be for it. He says, I remember that. I remember that. He's just a little kid. I remember that. And now he's getting a little uppity, putting on airs, calling God his personal father. It's ridiculous. He's making these claims. Bread of life. I came down from heaven. I'm intimate with the father. We're close. And so they know him. They're like, who do you think you are? It's that old saying, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. They got to know him. They knew he was prob- they probably knew he was special in some ways. They probably didn't know all of it, but they just were like, he's not that special. And they're beginning to understand what he's saying. Because they want a political leader to be their Messiah. 
They don't want a son of God Messiah. That's a bridge too far. And so they question his credentials. And they grumble. And we grumble too. You know, there's lots of studies about why people grumble. But two things that come out a lot is this. First, people grumble to avoid responsibility. Jesus is pushing them, and they don't like where he's pushing them. They don't like where he's going. So they'd rather grumble and complain than act upon what he's saying. So people grumble to avoid responsibility. Also, grumbling is part of a power dynamic, right? It draws people to your side to validate your belief. Because you, Can you imagine them? They're like, who does he think he is, right? I mean, we, we knew him, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're with me. That's what grumbling does. It pulls people into your side. So you feel more powered, empowered and more powerful. You feel more right because of it. Kind of makes you not feel so guilty for being, you know, a crappy old man like me sometimes. And this is what they're doing, and we do it. Hey, next time you're grumbling, just stop and think, why am I grumbling? Why am I complaining? What's the point here? So they grew up with Jesus. He'd become familiar. He wasn't that special to them. And I think here's the other thing we can apply. We get used to Jesus, kind of like what I said at the very beginning. We get used to Jesus. He doesn't become so special. And it can lead us to going that way. Because here's the thing. The Jews back then, they believed this. They believed that a celestial being could come down to earth. They'd seen angels came down to earth to communicate messages. They believed a celestial being, some sort of being from eternity, could come down to earth. They believed that. They also believed that a human could receive a divine calling from God to be a messenger from God, like John the Baptist, like a prophet. They believed that. They were okay with either one of those options. They could, they've dealt with that before. But they were refusing to believe that a human being could be also a celestial being, a divine being. That was too far. That was too far. That was something they could not understand. So Jesus tells them, he says, stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. So now Jesus is answering them about their grumbling, and he's not going to water down the truth to make it more palatable for them. He's actually going to strengthen it. He rebukes them. He, he, he says the beginning in verse, in verse 43 and 44 is actually something he's already said, but he strengthens it. He, he, he kind of makes it into a stronger form. He's just telling them. He's saying, look, you guys, we talked about this. He said, I'm, I was the Lord of the feast, and I'm the, I am the Lord of the feast. I'm the Lord of the harvest. Uh, um, you know, I'm the Lord of this. I'm the Lord. And he says, I'm the Lord of the resurrection, the last day the day that every Jew who believed, in, believed their scriptures would look towards when God would raise everyone, there'd be a final accounting, there'd be a judgment, and they believed the Jews would be elevated and the whole world, would, rest of the world would get punished. And he says, no, I'm the Lord of the last day. I'm the one in charge of the last day. And he blows their ideas away because he says, he says this bread is for everyone, not just for Israel. It's for everyone. In verse 45, he says, he's telling him, he says, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. What is he saying? This, and this, this little thing comes from, 
from Isaiah and, and from Jeremiah. It's kind of sometimes, oftentimes, Jews would do this. They'd combine parts of two different verses <clears throat> because they, everybody knew their scripture so well. They'd all know where it came from. And they'd all know the context. So he says this, they will all be taught by God as he's in the middle of teaching them. So he's plainly saying, I'm God. I'm teaching you. You want to know the Father? Listen to me. You want to see the Father? Look at me. Because I'm teaching you. Just as Scripture said, they will all be taught by God. Because I know the Father. He's my Father. And I'm teaching you, and you won't believe. You won't believe. Now, oftentimes, it's easy to look at these people and kind of be critical, right? Almost kind of look down on them. Because I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I go, hold on. Just a couple days earlier, he fed a 15 to 20,000 people in a miraculous feeding, and now they're going, show us a sign. Now, that's crazy. I understand what they're doing. They're thinking, yes, that was, a, that was a bios feeding, just like manna, but we want more. We want more. We want something bigger. And so he says, I'm teaching you, but you will not believe. And he just kind of keeps, he restates and repackages some of what he's already said. So that, that makes me feel better sometimes when people say, you know, you repeated something you already said. I said, I'm trying to be like Jesus. It's not because I forget. He, he's pushing them to think about these things because so many things can become so old hat that we need to have to, we, we, we have to refresh them in our minds. So think about this. Think about what we're seeing here. We're seeing God. He came down. He humbled himself to become a human being. Think how restricting that would have been for Jesus to be an eternal being and suddenly be forced, in a sense, or force yourself to suddenly become a finite being. Think how incredible that must be. Jesus, all of a sudden, he had to eat. He had to drink. He had to remember to breathe. He had to, all these things he had to do. He got cold. He got, he got hot. He got mad. He got sad. He got, he, he, suddenly he's experiencing things from, from a human standpoint, things that God could experience, but some things God couldn't even experience, eating and drinking. And The other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we had some ants get into our kitchen. And, and you know how that is, these ants, and they spread out. Yeah, everybody, everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so we, we got the old standby. You know, we're very humane people. So we got taro, the poison sugar water. And, and you lay these little things out. And, and if you've seen that, the ants just go right to it. And it's just like this line of ants all around, gathered around this. And uh, as I was, I was thinking about that, as this passage, and I was thinking, what if I became an ant? And I know that's an illustration some people use, but I'm looking at these ants in my kitchen, all gathered around poison, going, oh, this is delicious cotton candy, man. Take it to the, you know, let's take it to the house. Everybody have some, which is what I wanted. But if I didn't want it, you know, I thought, what if I could become an ant? How do ants communicate? I'm, I'm not even sure. I know there's basic communication that goes on with ants. But I could imagine myself in my kitchen, coming up to these ants crowded around this little blob going, don't eat it. 
it will kill you, trying to pull them away. And they're like, what are you doing, man? You're just a scout. Go. No, I'm trying to save you. Pulling on their legs, you know, you know, oh, sorry, I'm trying to help you. And then they get mad. And they're like, this guy, we've got food set out for us. It's delicious. And he's trying to keep us from it. Kill him, right? You just think, how would you do this to tell them? Jesus came down to earth, and he's saying, what you're doing is killing you. What you think is best is poison, and it's killing you. And we're like, who are you? Kill him. This is what's going on. Jesus came and used our, used our limited communication to teach about our Heavenly Father. And, but here's the thing. He taught it, and he lived it. Every aspect of his life you could watch, and you would see the Father. This is astounding. This is incredible. So he says to them, let me make sure I'm at the right... He tells them, you need to stop grumbling. You know, you're, you're, you're totally going overboard on this. He says to them that he tells them, and I didn't put it up there, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, yet they died. See, he's repeating. He's trying to get them to make that distinction between bios and zoe. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven that anyone, anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So he says, truly, truly, again, he's super, super getting in their face. Look at me, look at me when I'm talking to you. He says, if you believe, boom, you have eternal life. That's what I'm giving you. Now, we talked about this last week, this conundrum we face, this idea. He tells us the Father draws only the people who are drawn by the Father and people who believed. And it's hard to, to, these two things that seem to be mutually exclusive. But it's a part of it. I don't know how it works, but it's a part of it. And, you know, I think about this. For some of you, maybe you're a follower of Christ. Maybe you've been born again. Maybe you need to take some time to think back about how the Father drew you. All the different ways in which you were brought to where you are now and how God did that. Maybe you need to relive that and re-experience that thrill of coming to know Jesus, of being used by God, of growing the way God draws. Now, for some of you, maybe you need to decide, I'm going all in for Jesus. You need to believe. And the question is, will you trust? Will you follow? Will you believe? Will you give yourself to Jesus? He says here, I am the bread of zoe, of life, the sustenance that brings eternal life into you is me. That manna was just bios. That's all it was. But for those who eat the living bread, all right, here's astounding thought that we all know and are so used to. Those who eat the living bread, the zoe bread, they will not die. They will not die. 
If you believe in Jesus, put your faith and your trust in him, you will not die. Now, your flesh will crumble away, but you, the you, the real you, the person, you will not die. This is incredible. You will live the Zoe life eternally, the life of value, the life of meaning, the life that has, has this, this sense of, of, of almost adventure. What is God going to do next? What is going to happen next in my life, the Zoe life? Now, all through this, Jesus is kind of leading them. He's drawing them. He's doing the little breadcrumb thing sort of to pull them along. Because at first, he just introduces, in the beginning of this sermon, he introduces the concept of the Zoe life, that it's available here and now. And then, then he teaches them this is available just through believing. And they're kind of, uh, who, who told you? Who, you know, who died and made you king? Are you saying you're greater than Moses? That's kind of what they're saying. Are you saying you're greater than Moses? And Jesus says, yes, I am. And this bread is sent from God. I am the bread of life. And you don't believe it. And so they are very skeptical. You, we grew up around you. Yes, me. God draws people to me, and in belief they enter into eternal life because I am the bread of life. I give eternal life. And then he's clenching it here. You must eat this bread, which is my flesh. Next question. And I ran out of room, so here's how it looks. How does this work? This is ridiculous. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, this leads us into a discussion of figurative and literal. Literal and figurative. I get this all the time from people. They want to talk to me maybe about the church or whatever, and they say, do you believe the word of God is literal? And I always say, yes, let me explain. Because parts of the word of God are figurative. They're literally figurative. So I believe in the word of God literally as the original authors meant it to be read and heard and listened to and understood. In other words, when they say something that's obviously figurative, I understand that it's figurative. I don't take it with a wooden literalism. We understand that. We do this all the time, right? If I tell you, I was trying to think how to, how to say this. If I tell you I'm hungry, I want a burrito. Now, am I speaking literally or figuratively? I'm speaking literally. I'm going to answer it because I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence in every, everybody here. So, <laughs> plus, I know there's always smart Alex that are going to go, oh, that's figurative, Bob. <laughs> no, that's not funny. It's obviously literal. Okay, but if I say, man, I'm starving, I could eat a horse. Now I'm being figurative. And so if you take it woodenly, literally, people like, dude, how do you even cook that, right? This is stupid, right? But you understand what I say when I say, I'm starving. I could eat a horse. You know what I want is a burrito, but I want a big burrito. 
because I'm really hungry. So I want a big burrito, not a little burrito, right? And this is, Scripture has this all the time. When Jesus, oh, listen, I should just take that right off now that I think about it. Let's not let you stare at that too long. This, Scripture talks about this all the time. I mean, this is something that we see. Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, at one point he gets over the city and he says, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I wish I could gather you under my wings like a mother hen with her chicks. He's being figurative. He's giving us the idea of how much a mother hen loves and protects her chicks. Even if, I mean, I remember years ago watching on National Geographic or something and being scarred as a child of a, of a hawk attacking some chicks and the mother hen gathered them and just hungered over and the hawk just tore her to pieces to protect her chicks. And Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I want to gather you under my wings like a mother hen. Jesus said that knowing in, a, in less than a week he was going to be torn to pieces. So that's figurative, right? It's a literal truth wrapped up in a figure of speech. And so when he says, eat my body, and he's going to say it even more here, the question is, is he speaking literally or figuratively? Because there is, there is a conversation going on about that. There has been for 2,000 years. And if you're from a Catholic background, or you are Catholic, or you have Catholic friends, they believe that when you take communion and you place that wafer in your mouth, a miracle happens, and it becomes literally the flesh of Jesus Christ. And when you drink the grape juice or the wine, you know, however radical your church is, when you drink that, it literally becomes the blood of Christ because they take that very literally. I think there's some problems with that. I disagree with them. It's not, not something I, I uh, fight over or argue about a lot, but I think we take it figuratively. And there's a couple reasons why, but let me give you a quick one. Through this whole passage, when Jesus has been saying, eat the bread, eat the bread, he said it a number of times. He uses the word eat. Here's the deal. Grammar matters. He uses it in an aorist tense. And this is what an aorist tense means. Something that happens one time in the past and then continues to affect you even now and into the future. So he says, eat, my, eat the bread. It's in the past. One time affects you for the rest of your life, All right? So that, that fits in with this idea that it's a one-time event, what we would call a salvation experience, a person who gives their life, totally believes in Jesus Christ to be their Savior, to have died for their sins, to have been resurrected to prove his victory over death, and they accept that, that he's taken their debt. That's the salvation that we believe. That's the salvation experience. It happens one time. It doesn't have to be repeated over and over and over. So when we take communion, what we say is by eating that little wafer and drinking that we're remembering. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're remembering what he's done for us. So that's why up to this point, every time, it has been in the aorist tense to show that it was something that happened in the past. Now, and see, these people can read Greek, so they get that right off, right? We don't get it so quick. They, they get that right off. Now, Jesus is going to subtly, not even subtly, it's going to be blatant. He's going to switch to the present to show that there is an ongoing aspect of this relationship, and we'll look at that. So, Jesus says to them, they begin to grumble. He says to them, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, right? 
That's in the aorist tense. Eat and drink is in the aorist tense. And then he says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, abides in me, and I in them. He has suddenly now switched to the present. Because why? Because he's talking about abiding. He's talking about what's going on here. He's talking about abiding in me, living in me, which is an ongoing relationship. And so he, sw- he switches to the present tense. The present tense is this idea of a continuous action. You have to continually be abiding in him. And he says this a lot. If my words remain, if my words abide in you, he says, when he talks about prayer. When he said in John 15, he tells them, you are to abide in me. This is a part of the, being the gardener and the trimming that goes on in a garden to bring forth more fruit. So he says, you need to abide in me, remain in me. And he says, my word needs to abide in you, to remain in you. It's an ongoing action that is part of living for Jesus Christ. And what is he telling us? There is something that happens at a point in time when a person becomes a Christian, something supernatural. They become a new, uh, a new being, in a sense. They're, they're all new, and Christ comes to live in them. The Holy Spirit begins to teach them and grow, grow them. And then what then, for the rest of their lives, it is a process of growing, a process of abiding, a process of continuing to eat and drink of Jesus Christ and what he has told us. He says, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in, Caper- in, synagogue in Capernaum. So Jesus, when he says, uh, just as, what that says is that says, going back to a previous thought, I'm giving you something very similar. I want you to think this through. He's saying, uh, just as. So we go back, and what has he been talking about? He's been talking about the fact that we feed on him, and now he says, I feed on the Father. The Father sent me and I live, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He's telling us how important that is. So how does that work? It's really simple, actually. It's just like feeding. It's just like eating. We eat every day. We drink every day. Jesus is teaching here. It starts with being drawn. It starts with believing, and then we feed on what? Well, he teaches us in other places. We feed on the Word of God. We feed on the will of God. We feed on prayer and praying and and communicating with God. We do these things because it feeds us. It strengthens us. We grow because of it. We become stronger in Zoe life. That's what happens. Last thing I want to think about here. I was was thinking about this um, because it's popular in our day. For people to say, Jesus, oh, man, what a great moral teacher, you know? Or Jesus, what a great example he was for us. And people often say that when they say, you know, Jesus, great moral. Gandhi, right? Muhammad, Buddha, great, great, the great moral teachers. And I struggle with thinking of Jesus just as a great moral teacher. He was a great moral teacher. He was a great example. But I struggle with thinking of him that way. And here's why. I can never be that. 
I can't do that. I can't be Gandhi. I can't be Mother Teresa. I can't be Buddha. I can't be Jesus. I can't be it. I can't do it. To me, when I read Scripture, if I'm thinking in that mindset, it's discouraging. Because all I can do when I think about these, I mean, you think about these things. Think if you were Jesus. And these people started making fun of you. I'd just be like, what else? Speak now, right? Or, you know, I, I, I just, I would, I'd be a kind of a mean Jesus. And I think you would too. Don't you dare condemn me. I would think you would too. I, I see Jesus living sinlessly, and it's just discouraging to me because I can't do it. If he's only a moral teacher living flawlessly, flawlessly, then all that is is condemnation for me. There's no way I can do it. If Jesus is just a great example, there's no power in that. There's no hope in that, right? Seeing Jesus as a great example does not empower me to be a great example. Seeing Jesus as a great example makes me go, I suck. I'm terrible. I do the worst things. There's no power in that. But Jesus says, my bread is my flesh given for the life of the world. And he was broken in our place. Given for in place of the life of the world. Jesus says, I was broken for you. I took your punishment. I took your inadequacy. He says, Bob, I took your inadequacy. I took that discouragement. I took those sins that you've committed, the ones you are committing and the ones you are going to. I took them. I paid for them so that you can experience the Zoe life, the peace that can come with that, the shalom that is talked about so much in the Hebrew scriptures, the shalom that God has for us. And see, we see then that becomes the bread of life. That becomes what I need. A broken Savior is the best news we could ever have. Not a great moral teacher. He just makes us feel bad about ourselves. We have a broken Savior. We have the bread that looks so good, that smells so good, that looks so good, and it had to be broken to partake of. And that's what's so important. That's what's so important for us here. That's what's so important in this passage because he keeps telling them it's got to be broken. The bread's got to be broken. It's got to be eaten. It's got to be, you've got to drink this. You've got to partake of it. It's got to be something you're doing over and over and over. It starts at a point in time, and then you do it for the rest of your life, and you experience more and more the Zoe life that he has for you, the shalom life that he has for you. And he's saying to us now, truly, truly, look at me. He's saying, look at me. Believe in me. I have that for you, for you for each one of us here, for each person online, for every person in the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, every week I thank you for your word, but it is, these are the words of life for us. 
these show us what is possible as we follow Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would recommit ourselves to doing that, to feeding on Jesus through his word, through prayer, through books, through music, in all kinds of ways, that we would look at him and keep our eyes on him. And that as we leave this place, we would become people who are walking advertisements for the Zoe life that you have for us. And God, thank you that because you were broken, it is now possible in our lives, not of our own power, but because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God working in us. And we thank you for that great truth. In Jesus' name, amen.